Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken to us in Your Scriptures through the Holy Prophets. We thank You that You have spoken to us in the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Now bless the reading and preaching of Your Word by the power of Your Spirit that we be transformed and sanctified and consecrated as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to You. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, this Sunday and next Sunday, I'll be preaching a couple of sermons introducing a new series on the Psalms. I think it's safe to say that this series should take me a little bit longer than the one I recently preached on Malachi. But I, I, I am not going to try to preach through the entire Psalter uh, continuously. But I do want to spend a good deal of time uh, going through some, many of the Psalms uh, along the way. I'm not going to jump headfirst into the Psalter this week. The Psalms are deep and wide and rich enough that I want to take a few weeks uh, to cover a few introductory matters and hopefully give some perspective that will provide helpful in what can sometimes be uh, a book that's somewhat foreign, uh, maybe a little bit challenging, maybe just downright weird at times. Now, it doesn't take an expert statistician to guess that the longest book in the Old Testament would be the book that is quoted the most in the New Testament. That's the case with the book of Psalms. It is the longest book in the Old Testament, and it is the most quoted book by the writers of the New Testament. But statistics aside, we need to understand and appreciate just how saturated Jesus and the apostles were in the Psalter. We need to realize the importance of the Psalms in the New Testament and in the life of the church. So for example, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 direct quotations of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And over 25% of those come from the Psalter. There are thousands of allusions, not direct quotations, but allusions uh, to the Old Testament. And over 300 of those are from the Psalter in the New Testament. Add to that that every, almost every New Testament book contains at least one quotation of the Psalms. And if you had to guess, again, you would be right that Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. In fact, the, the words of the Psalms are the dying words of Jesus. Into your hands I commit my spirit is a direct quotation from Psalm 31. But that wasn't the only psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. You probably remember Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility to, to think that Jesus started quoting Psalm 22 and he prayed through the next nine psalms while hanging on the cross until he fulfilled Psalm 31 by giving up 
His Spirit. The Psalms for Jesus and the Apostles. The Psalms were like the air they breathed. And this has been the case throughout much of church history. The Psalms may have fallen on hard times uh, in the last century or so, but for almost 3,000 years prior, the Psalter had been the authoritative hymnal, prayer book, liturgy guide, counseling manual, you name it, uh, for God's people. In fact, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that the Psalter is one of the most significant and influential factors in the shaping of Western civilization, especially in the English-speaking world. Shakespeare quotes a lot of Scripture. You're probably aware of that. Guess which book he quotes the most? The Psalms, right? This is just one example of the pervasive influence of the Psalter in Western literature and art and culture of every kind. The Psalms have been at the heart of every godly society, every godly civilization, and virtually every devout Christian. This should raise some questions for us. Like, what's so special about the Psalms? How, how can these Psalms be so powerful and so influential? And let's get a little more basic. What are Psalms? What's a What's a psalm? Good question. A psalm is the Hebrew word for a melody. It means melody. It means a song with a musical accompaniment. It's what we might call a hymn. 57 of the psalms are specifically described with that label, psalms. Usually it's a psalm of David, a song with a musical accompaniment written by oftentimes David, but not always, not exclusively. But even though only only 57, a third of them, are described as psalms, the whole book is a collection of sung prayers. The whole book is a collection of psalms, of sung prayers. There are many that inc- include musical notation, and throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of the church, they've always been treated as sung prayers. Reading the Psalms, therefore, is excellent and praiseworthy and very uh, important. But reading alone, reading the Psalms alone without singing them, robs them, misses out on the full force of the Psalms. It would be sort of like, sort of like reading Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, as opposed to singing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's good stuff. But try singing that with, you know, the entire orchestra and the whole choir like Handel composed it and it just has an extra oomph to it. It has a power. It has a force to it that sometimes we can miss if we only read them and don't sing them. They were made to be sung. They were written to be sung. But interestingly, the Hebrew title of the book of Psalms is not Psalms. The Hebrew title of the book of the Psalter 
is actually praises or book of praises. Now, if you are familiar with the Psalter, you know that most of the praises are concentrated at the end of the book, where all the hallelujahs start to come in. All the psalms that begin and end with hallelujah and are filled with uh, shouts of praise. But the whole book is known, referred to as a book of praises because the last part of the Psalter sets us on a trajectory that concludes with praise. There is a doxological trajectory to the book of Psalms that moves us from many prayers of lament, from prayers of petition, from uh, other types of Psalms that are scattered throughout toward an ending, a conclusion of praise. In that trajectory of praise, the destination of doxology shapes the entire book. It informs our reading of the entire Psalter. We see this in the way the books are arranged. There are five books in the Psalter. They were probably written uh, throughout Israel's history. Many of them started with David, although Moses even apparently uh, wrote one of the Psalms. Um, They were collected and written and compiled and edited together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And each of the five books concludes with a short doxology. And if you look at those five doxologies, they build, they crescendo uh, in a movement toward praise. And of course, Psalm 150 is sort of the doxological conclusion to the entire to the entire Psalter. But the Psalms keep us grounded in history. They keep us grounded in real life. Because that many of them have these superscripts, these notations, these notes about the setting or the background or the context. 73 of the Psalms are attributed to David, of whom we know more about than virtually any other character in history. We know about him when he was a young man. We know about him when he was uh, in all throughout the various seasons of his life, all the way up to his dying days and the whole history of his family. It's all there. He is an open book, and many of these psalms are rooted in his life. But beyond uh, the, the half Uh, 73 that are attributed to David, there are even more that have some sort of descriptive heading, some sort of note uh, that give give the Psalms a very personal tone. These inspired headings, these superscripts, remind us that prayer, petition, praise, lament, rejoicing, sadness, all of these things happen to ordinary people living ordinary lives. They happen in history. They are not the abstract meditations of some stoic philosopher. They're not the academic speculations of some ivory tower professor. They are born in the context of history where God works. Because God works, He is present in the mundane details of our lives. And the Psalms keep us grounded in God's work. 
of our daily lives. At the same time that these that the Psalms have a very personal tone and are can be very um, intimate in terms of uh, expressing one's heart to God, speaking to God in a very personal, honest way, the Psalms are more than simply uh, someone's personal prayers that have been compiled to teach you how to have a personal uh, prayer life. The Psalms are prayed in the context of the worshiping community for the benefit of the worshiping community. We hear Jesus' command in the Sermon on the Mount to go and pray in secret, to shut the door and pray in secret. And that we get the idea from that that our personal prayer life is what is primary. That the prayers of the gathered church are secondary at best. Uh, Many people believe that the church's gathered worship and prayer is simply the overflow of each individual's prayer life and relation, private relationship with God. But that's exactly backwards. And that's not what Jesus was advocating when He said to go and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. He was not advocating a privatized spirituality. He was warning against putting on a religious show that was more focused on getting the attention of others than on getting the attention of God. And so the church is not an optional accessory to our personal, private relationship with God. The church, the prayers of the church, the worship of the church is not secondary, but primary. And the Psalms keep us grounded in the worshiping community. The Psalms are personal and intimate, yes, but the Psalms strike at the heart of our individualistic piety because the very structure of the Psalms, the very setting of the Psalms, the way they're written, the way they're intended to be sung, almost requires a corporate gathering or a liturgical setting. They're made to be used in call and response, and antiphonal singing of one part of the congregation to the other, of a leader with the congregation, and so forth. It's interesting to note as well that in the Hebrew canon, the Hebrew arrangement of the books of the Old Testament, the Psalter is the introduction to the wisdom literature. It's a little bit different in our English uh, Bibles, for a number of reasons, historical reasons. But consider the fact that the wisdom literature in the Hebrew canon begins with the Psalms. We might put Proverbs or Ecclesiastes uh, at the beginning of the wisdom literature. But it's not. It's the Psalms. Wisdom isn't about accumulating factual knowledge or Bible trivia or uh, learning all the right aphorisms. Wisdom is about living, cultivating virtues that allow us to live skillfully and faithfully in God's world. And the Psalms right there 
uh, at the heart, dominating uh, the wisdom literature of the Bible, remind us that wisdom begins in prayer to God. Wisdom begins in wrestling with God in prayer. Wisdom begins in praise and petition, in lament and sorrow and rejoicing. Wisdom begins in prayer, but it is also sustained by prayer, by the Psalms. This, this, this raises an important question. Do we really need such a massive book uh, of prayers in the, in the Bible to, to teach us how to pray, to help us to pray? Do, I mean, 150. Isn't that kind of overkill? I mean, isn't that kind of showing off or, or just sort of unnecessary, really, to put that big uh, of a book of prayers uh, in the Bible? Isn't prayer just as simple as pouring out your heart to God, just being honest with Him and, and, and just sort of letting, you know, speaking what's on your mind? Well, not, not exactly. Not exactly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a, an excellent little introduction to the Psalms entitled, The Prayer Book of the Bible. I would highly recommend it to you. Very, very brief, but excellent. And he had, he makes a very important point uh, in that book. He says, we must learn to pray. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus do? He gives them the Lord's Prayer, which is basically nothing more than a summary of the entire Psalter. If you take apart the Lord's Prayer, you can find in it uh, basically uh, a little bit of the entire Psalter brought together and summarized by Jesus. But this Bonhoeffer makes the point that we must learn to pray. The child learns to speak. How? Because the parent speaks to the child. The child learns the language of the parent. So we learn to speak to God because God has spoken and speaks to us. In the language of the Father in heaven, God's children learn to speak with God. Repeating God's own words, we begin to pray to God. We ought to speak to God. Right? We ought to speak to God. And God wishes to hear us, but not in the false and confused language of our heart, but in the clear and pure language that God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. The Psalms teach us to pray not merely our own feelings, not whatever pops into our head at the moment, but the Psalms teach us to pray with speech that is fitting for God. If we take the idea of prayer as just sort of pouring out uh, your heart to God, whatever pops into your mind or whatever you're uh, feeling at the, at the moment, praying from the heart and ignoring the Psalms, not letting our own extemporaneous prayers be informed and shaped by the Psalter, that's kind of like if a high school actor was playing the part of Romeo and at the balcony scene, he just decided to wing it. He just decided to ad-lib ad it, right? Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? 
and then he decides that he knows better than Shakespeare, and he just starts shooting from the hip. Is that going to go over very well? I doubt it. I doubt it. That kid doesn't know better than Shakespeare. Come on. This is this is the kind of um, or or think of this. Um, maybe you've maybe you've been to uh, a wedding like this. Um, if someone tried, if someone thought, you know, it would be more authentic if I just made up my own wedding vows on the spot. That would be from the heart. That would be more heartfelt. That would be more real. That would be more honest, right, than reading some scripted thing that some guy hundreds of years ago wrote, right? That's kind of old and stale. Let's let's come up with something fresh, and new, and real. Well, Bonhoeffer says that the Psalms are there for us as the prayer book of the Bible to teach us how to speak with God in words that are fitting to God. Not in the false and confused language of our own heart, because oftentimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. And if we only pray out of our own experience, our prayers are going to be very small. Our prayers are going to be very weak compared to if we are praying the Word of God back to God. We know that God will hear His own Word because it is the Word of God to us. As um, Bonhoeffer and, and many others who've written on the Psalms, as they point out, we learn to pray in much the same way that we learn to speak. We don't, how do you, how does a child learn to speak? Do they, uh, take a class on speaking before they begin to speak? Do they, uh, study intently the art of speaking without ever attempting it? Uh, and then once they've reached competency, then they begin to speak? No. How does a child begin to learn to speak? They just start speaking. They just start copying their parents. They just try it out. And they mumble and they fumble and they say all kinds of cute things uh, that get passed around on the Internet. Uh, but they learn to speak just by speaking. They, learn, they say some pretty uh, hilarious stuff um, that might embarrass you and embarrass uh, their parents. Uh, but they learn to speak by speaking. Same with prayer. We learn to pray... By praying. We learn to pray by praying God's Word. We have the Psalter here to teach us to pray. And so it's not complicated. There's not some graduate level course on how to pray. We just start praying God's Word. And God's Word teaches us to pray. It informs us and it shapes us. Athanasius, in his little uh, letter that he wrote on how to interpret the Psalms, he says that the Psalms are unique because most of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. The Psalms give us permission to say things to God that we would probably otherwise not have the guts to say. We are oftentimes too timid, too afraid, too... Uh, we doubt God. But the Psalms... Uh, speak to God boldly, courageously, honestly, faithfully. They, the Psalms teach us to sanctify our anger, our fear, our contempt, 
our jealousy and our grief so that we can speak to God fully and honestly, yet faithfully. The Psalms teach us to pray. They are the prayer book of the Bible. They give us words to speak to God. But the real power of the Psalms lies in the fact that they are the prayers of Jesus Himself. The Psalms are central to the life of the church because they were and still are central to the life and ministry of Jesus Himself. In Luke 24, we read uh, the passage about after Jesus was raised from the dead, He had uh, the Bible study that everybody wishes they could have attended in Luke 24. He opens their eyes. He opens the Word to them. And He explains how everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms was written about Him and had to be fulfilled in His death and resurrection, in His life and ministry. But the Psalms are not just about Jesus. The Psalms are the prayers of Jesus. They are the words of Jesus. And when we pray the Psalms, we are praying in union with Christ. We are joining our prayers with His. The writer of Hebrews, in two different places, puts uh, the words of the Psalms on the lips of Jesus. Of course, we've already said that the Psalms were quoted by Jesus numerous times throughout His own life as recorded in the Gospels. But the writer of Hebrews has a very interesting way of ascribing the Psalms to Jesus. In Hebrews 10, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said... And then he gives a a quotation uh, from Psalm chapter uh, Psalm forty. When Christ came into the world, he said, Psalm forty, verses six and eight. And the Hebrews chapter two is almost even more clear. Did you catch this? In uh, verse eleven of Hebrews two, it says, "That is why he is not ashamed." Call them brothers, saying, and here's the quotation uh, from Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Psalm 22, that quotation from Psalm 22 on the lips of Jesus is in the context of Jesus being our great high priest who who is able to identify with us in all of our trials. It is in the context of Jesus as our great High Priest who is interceding for us before the Father. And what we see here, Jesus saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus is leading the congregation of God's people in singing the songs. In heaven. I think Jesus is in heaven interceding for us before the Father, praying the Psalms, singing the Psalms, leading the congregation of God's people in singing the Psalms. The Psalms are not uh, just temporary, uh, outdated, uh, sort of quaint, you know, ideas that we can 
we can look back to and say, oh, wasn't that sweet, uh, you know, David, he was, he was such a, such a nice guy. No, the Psalms were and still are, I believe, the prayers of Jesus himself. That he prays for us before the Father. And when we pray the Psalms, we are joining our prayers with the prayers of Jesus in heaven. The church on earth and the church in heaven. That's all you see in the book of Acts are the apostles reciting and singing the Psalms. And I believe that is still the model for us today. But not only do we pray the Psalms in union with Jesus, not only are we joining our prayers with Christ when we pray the Psalms, we are praying the Psalms in union with the body of Christ. And this is how we are able to pray the entire Psalter as if it is our own, because it is our own. It is the prayer book of the church, because we are often tempted to read a psalm and say, I can't identify with that situation at all. I have no idea what he's talking about. That's completely foreign to me. I've never experienced anything like this. Let me skip to something that fits my life, that fits my situation. And there are uh, certain psalms that are more directly uh, relevant to us, maybe the more directly applicable to us, and, and that's fine. But we need to discipline ourselves to pray all the psalms because we are praying them in union, not only with Christ, but with the church, but with the body of Christ. And so every psalm applies to our situation, our circumstances. The Psalms teach us to pray beyond our own experience and our own situation because there are brothers and sisters in this congregation and around the world who are going through every kind of situation that you will find in the Psalms. There are brothers and sisters in this congregation and around the world who need us to pray the Psalms for them and on their behalf. And so every psalm is relevant to us as God's people. And when we pray psalms that we don't get or we don't uh, feel are relevant to us, the psalms make us relevant to themselves. It's not about whether or not the psalms fit our lives. It's whether our lives fit the psalms. God has spoken in Scripture, and He has spoken in Jesus, the Word made flesh. And God's Word demands a response. God's Word requires an answer. Like every good parent, God doesn't want to deliver monologues for all eternity. God doesn't want to speak into a black hole with no answer God speaks to us. He has created us in His image and He has spoken to us so that we might learn to respond to Him. So that we might grow up into maturity and speak His Word back to Him. So that the monologue becomes a holy dialogue. In Christ, we have access before God and we are able to speak with Him face to face. And so it is the Psalms that are crucial 
for us learning and maturing and being transformed so that we might indeed speak to God face to face. If you struggle with prayerlessness, if you're unsure of how to pray, maybe you go through seasons where you just don't feel like praying, Maybe you're afraid to speak with God. Maybe you, maybe you doubt that God would even give you the time of day. God's got lots of other things on His schedule. He has no time to listen to me. The Psalms are the answer for you. Maybe you need to repent of prayerlessness or lack of faith. But don't beat yourself up. Don't plunge into self-pity. Just start praying and singing and meditating on the Psalms. Start praying the Word of God in union with Christ Jesus and in fellowship with the communion of saints. Because this is one of the primary ways that God transforms us and one of the primary ways that God transforms the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of the Psalms. And we thank You that we are able, in Christ, to pray Your Word to You and know that You hear us. Know that You will act on our behalf. Know that You will transform us and mature us and shape us more and more into Your likeness. Thank You that You assist us by Your Spirit in prayer. Help us to be diligent and faithful to meditate on Your Word, to love Your Word, to be saturated in the Psalms that we might live a life filled with prayer that is a blessing to You and a blessing to the world. We pray this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.